Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you. Um, whether you're joining us in person today or online on this very cold morning, um, it's good to be here today. And it's so fitting that this passage lands on Valentine's Day because it's all about the love of God. And so that's what we're going to be diving into today. So let's begin with prayer. Lord God, I thank you that wherever we are at, um, far away or close here in, in the are in the sanctuary, Lord, today. We thank you that your love is still present with us, no matter where we are. As you say um, in our reading today, Lord, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I pray that today we would all walk away with a deeper understanding um, of resting in your love every single day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, sleep is a very precious thing especially for parents with young children. Or maybe you're a grandparent and you've cared for your grandkids or an aunt or an uncle who is taking care of nieces or nephews. But I don't know about you, but when I am putting my kids to bed, there seems to be this process that can sometimes get longer and longer and longer. Typically, um, imagine with me for a moment, when you're putting a child to bed, it begins with maybe a story, um, singing a song, having a little prayer, you know, tucking them in, and then saying goodnight, give hugs and kisses, and leave and say goodnight, so you can go have your own little time there. Oh, but then wait, they need a drink. Okay, so you get them a drink, and wait, we want to read another book, and go to the bathroom, and oh wait, I want you to sit with me just a little longer. Oh, but wait, sitting over there is not close enough. You need to come over here, right next to me, and before you know it, you're waking up and it's midnight and you've spent half the night sleeping in your child's bed. And then you groan in frustration and you get up and exhausted, you go to your bed. And as soon as you get situated, that little one is standing right there next to you. And you're like, what do you want? I am exhausted. It's the middle of the night. And all that little child says is, I just want to be close to you. I just want to be close to you. Perhaps that little child speaking is like the voice of God who is saying to you, I just want to be close to you. You see, God created us to be in relationship with him, and he wants nothing more than for us to just rest peacefully in his love and the comfort and the assurance of his love that nothing will separate us from him. So we've been venturing through the book of Romans, and the word love actually has not come up very much. Um, it's only been used a few times up to this point, but here at chapter 8, it's like a very big theme, that love, that God loves us. It's a very big part of this reading. And Paul doesn't go into great lengths throughout Romans up until this point to talk about love. But all throughout Romans so far, we've had this story kind of unraveling of how much God loves us, and what kind of relationship God longs for us to be in with him. And so I'm going to take us through where we're at um, up to this point, and it begins with that we are all sinners in need of our Savior, in need of a Savior. Our relationship with God is broken because of sin, and we're all sinners, and we can't save ourselves. We are in need of a Savior. Next is that God gave us Jesus Christ to save us. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God goes to great lengths for us because he longs for our relationship with him to be restored. And he does that by freely offering his son to die on the cross for us. And it's done out of his love for us. It's not something that we can earn or that we deserve, but it's because of God's great love and desire to be with us, to restore relationship with us. Next, we see that we have been justified by faith, which means that we are declared righteous in God's eyes when we believe in him. It's not by all of the good things that we do, by being good people or good Christians, but by believing and then giving our allegiance and our lives over to God. And because of that, we have hope for the future. We are given access to God's grace and his peace. And we have this future glory of being with Christ. And next is that today we are dead to sin, but alive in Christ. And that's because what Jesus has done for us has changed us. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we are made free and we're right in the eyes of God. And we are now slaves of righteousness and called into obedience to live a life that is alive in Christ. And then lastly, we have been given the Holy Spirit to help us in that. In Romans 5, 5, it says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. We experience God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit that is always with us. And the Holy Spirit guides us in this new way, so we're no longer bound by the old law, but living in the freedom that the Spirit gives us. So what lengths will our God go to in order to be close to us? How much does our God love us? Or as Paul writes today, who or what shall separate us from the love of God? And the answer is, nothing can separate us from the love of God. All week long, I have been wrestling with this text, <laughs> this passage, and I kept saying to myself, why is it so hard to preach on the love of God? <laughs> I mean, I've heard it all my life. I grew up knowing that God loves me. I sang Jesus Loves Me as a kid in Sunday school. My kids sing it now. And I grew up in a Christian home that prayed together, attended church together. I heard that God loved me all the time through my teenage experience in the church. But then I got to thinking, have I really ever pondered just how much God loves me? Have I really ever sat in the weight of his love and just realized that he really does love me more than I could ever imagine? And so I don't know what your story is, but my prayer today is that you would know just how much God loves you and know that it's even more than you could comprehend. So we're going to dive into the text a little bit. Um, if you have a Bible with you, whether it's on your phone or one that you brought from home, we're going to begin at Romans 8, 31 through 39. So last week, Andrew talked about how the future glory that God has given us far outweighs the suffering that we endure today. And he talked about how we're eagerly waiting an expectation for God to be revealed, um, to bring full redemption to us um, and because of that, we have this future 
this future glory where we will get to fully experience all that God is to us. And so now Paul here is starting in verse 31, wanting to give us comfort for now (laughs) as we are waiting for this future glory to come. And so I'm going to read 31 through 37. It says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So in this section, we hear of four questions that um, Paul uses to talk about the future glory of what God has for us, but also the comfort of our present sufferings. And in each question, Paul has this specific answer to bring comfort to the church. It says, first, if God is for us, who is against us? And his answer to that is, if God sent his son to die on the cross for you, to save you, then don't you think that he will also graciously give you everything that you need? It's as if he's saying, don't you think that I would have something greater for you to come? I have a future glory for you. Do you really think that I would go to such lengths to send my own son for you and then not have a a future prepared for you? His next question is, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who will condemn you? His answer is, it is God who justifies. It's God who makes all things new and righteous and clean and makes you new. So what right does anybody else have to claim on you in your future? God makes us new. God makes us right. And no one can bring a charge against you because of that. Not the enemy, not your neighbor, not the politician, not Satan. No, because we belong to God. The next question is, who then is the one who condemns you? And his answer, no one. And you know why? Because Jesus died on the cross for you. And he is now at the right hand of God, interceding to God on our behalf. And then the last question, a very deep question, I feel, is who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is where Paul starts to get a little creative, almost poetic, using some imagery here. Um, For the people in the Church of Rome, um, he seems to be using examples like trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword. For us, I think it would sound something like this. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall bad times, stress, shame, being put down or treated differently because of our faith, poverty, oppression, derechos, pandemics, or even the possibility of death? 
And his answer is, no, none of these. Because in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through God who loved us, through Jesus who died on the cross for us. Another way of saying this is that, but in all things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. That means that right now in our very broken world where we face all of those things that I just listed, because of what Jesus has done for us, we are now conquerors over those things. Those things that are hard, we are now conquerors over. It says we are conquerors right now in this world because God loves us so much. So hey, you are a conqueror. Turn to someone next to you and say you are a conqueror. Do it. You are a conqueror. So for us that means victory, right? That we have victory over darkness because of what Jesus has done for us. This means we not only beat out our enemies, but we watch them walk off the field. And I was a cheerleader growing up, so I know what that's like to have that victory experience and have that shout of glory or that dance of victory and that swarm of people who are so excited for victory. That's how we should feel right now in this world even surrounded by the present sufferings. So look at what God has done for us. Look at what the Messiah has done and is still doing. Look at the many things that threaten us to separate us from the powerful love of God, and then remember what Paul says here next. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The love of God, the love that God has for us that is shown through Jesus Christ on the cross displays the unbreakable love that he has for each of us. And God will stop at nothing to demonstrate his love for us. So I included the story of the adulterous woman today because I think it's a beautiful picture of what we just read in Romans about how nothing can separate us from the God. No one condemns us because we are in Christ Jesus. So consider this woman who was caught in the act of sin, of cheating on her husband, of the punishment for what she knows means stoning to death. Can you imagine the fear that this woman had, knowing that she was caught red-handed, standing in the circle of judgment that will ultimately lead to her death? She's probably devastated, terrified, filled with fear, maybe grief, shame, regret, hopelessness, and she probably wishes that she could go back and start over and do the right thing, but she feels like it's too late. Have you ever been in that place? That place of feeling as though your shame and your sin were exposed and everyone was there to see it. That place of condemnation and knowing that you're going to get what you deserved. But then what does Jesus do? He reminds everyone surrounding her that they too are all sinners. And one by one they walk away. And When she stands up, she sees that no one is there. 
And I can just imagine Jesus so sweetly looking her in her eyes and saying, who condemns you? Where have they all gone? And I mean, I'm sure she's just like, well, no one condemns me. I'm just going to go on my way and be happy and keep living my life. Like, she had to be in utter disbelief of no one condemns me. What I thought was going to happen, what I deserved, is not going to happen. (laughs) No one, sir, no one condemns me. And then Jesus says, neither do I. I do not condemn you. And then he says, go and leave your life of sin. And she goes on her way. And unfortunately, we don't know the end of her story, but what we do know (laughs) is that her life was probably transformed in that moment. Because when we experience the deep love and freedom that God gives us, how can we walk away not changed? Paul wants us to know that God, our God, is a God who loves you so much that he would send his son to die on the cross for you. The love that he has for you is more than anything you can comprehend in this world, and that should change us. That should lead us to a place of wanting to rest in his love to be assured of his love now, and to live a life that overflows his love. I don't know if you're familiar with this story. There's a children's story called The Runaway Bunny. And this story I actually wasn't familiar with until quite a while ago. (laughs) I mean, just a few years ago. But um, So we don't know the context of this story, but this story is about a little bunny who's having a conversation with his mom about how he's going to run away. And like, I don't know in this story if the bunny is actually angry with his mom. Um, I don't know if he did something and is now really wanting to run away or if there's just this sarcastic rhetorical conversation happening. We don't know that. But the story talks about the bunny telling his mom how he's going to run away, and the mom's responses are very comforting. So I'm going to read some of that to you. It begins, Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said the mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream, and I will swim away from you. Well, if you become a fish in a trout stream, said the mother, I will become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. If you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I will become a rock on the mountain high above you. Well, if you become a rock on the mountain high above me, said the mother, I will become a mountain climber, and I will climb to where you are. So the bunny keeps going on and says, well, if you become a mountain climber, I'm going to become a crocus hidden in a garden. And then she says, well, I'll become a gardener. And I will come and find you. And then he becomes a bird, and he wants to fly away. And she says, I'll be the tree that you come home to. And it goes on and on about sailboats and the wind blowing you to where you want you to go. And it just kind of keeps going on and on about this little bunny who just can't seem to escape the love of his mother. And then at the end, the very last section, it says, if you because he says he's going to join the circus. Um, And she's going to be a tightrope walker who will walk across the air to him. And it says, if you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air, um, he says, I will become a little boy and uh, run into a house. And she says, if you become a little boy and run into a house, 
said the mother, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. And at the end, little bunny just says, shucks, I might as well just stay here where I am and be your little bunny. And then very fun at the end, it just says, have a carrot, said the mother bunny. So, <laughs> oh, I just think this is such a funny little story, but so sweet and so true for us today that at some point we just have to realize that nothing can separate us from the love of our God. He gets to dreaming up this life of, I don't know, maybe he's caught in shame or anger or regret and feels like that's the only other option is to run away. But really, there is nothing that can separate him from his mother's love. And that's the same for us today. Our God is a God who will go to such lengths to be with us, that nothing can separate us. And we're called to rest in that love, to rest in the truth that he loves us right where we're at today. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are a God who goes to such lengths to love us, to show us that you love us, to, <laughs> that you care for us so deeply in the middle of our shame or regret or sin, that you still died for us, and that you still sent your son Jesus to die for us. And nothing in this world could ever separate us from your love. May we rest in that love today. In Jesus' name, amen.